everyone. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. In these next few episodes, I want to talk about why your muscles aren't growing. And the plan is to do four episodes. <laughs> I might add or subtract. I'm not sure. But right now, the plan is to do four episodes because I really want to get nitty gritty into each of these topics. And I do plan to bring on other guests towards the end of this. So get excited for that, talking more about nutrition and things like that, because obviously nutrition is very important if you are looking to gain muscle. And hopefully you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or at least this isn't your first episode. And if this is your first episode, I definitely think you can still get benefit out of this, but I've kind of created these episodes so that they layer one on top of the other. So my suggestion would really be to go back to the beginning and listen to the podcast all the way from the first episode until now. I think there's only like, I think this is the 14th episode. So <laughs> it'll only take you, you know, 14 episodes, but, but seriously, there's some really good gems and I think it'll help you understand everything that's going on in this podcast. So hopefully if you've been listening to my podcast, you are starting to understand the importance of having muscle mass. I think so many women are afraid to quote unquote, grow their muscles because they're afraid to get bulky. And I would actually say that getting bulky is difficult for most women because it requires a certain amount of testosterone level and it requires gaining muscle and fat. So a lot of times women who gain muscle easily will maybe consider themselves quote unquote bulky, but I really tend to think that it's not a concern for most women. In fact, I think that 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 fear of getting bulky holds a lot of women back from doing proper strength training, which is really not great for you as you age, because as we age, remember we lose muscle. So we really want to be super intentional as soon as possible about either maintaining your muscle mass or trying to gain your muscle mass. So if you gain muscle easily and you're worried about getting bulky, I would consider you genetically blessed, honestly. I mean, I have a really hard time gaining muscles just the way my body is. The muscle that I currently have, I've had to work really hard for and I still want to gain more muscle. But if you gain muscle easily, you're blessed. If you gain muscle easily and you just want to maintain your muscle mass because you're afraid of gaining too much and looking quote unquote bulky, this podcast will be great for you to listen to as well because Again, these concepts will allow you to gain muscle in a way that is super safe and effective and sustainable. And then once you get to a point where you are happy with your muscle mass, then you can just maintain. And the way you maintain your muscle mass is you don't go up in weight and you don't go up in repetitions. So you're just kind of keeping your resistance training workouts about the same. And that's how you just maintain your muscle mass. And of course, what you're doing with your nutrition is super important too. And again, we're going to do a podcast later on. I'm going to bring on a functional dietitian on to talk about how to do that. So just to summarize, in case this is your first podcast and you don't know my philosophy on exercise yet, muscle is the most metabolically expensive tissue in your body. It burns more calories and takes more energy to maintain than any other tissue. Therefore, The more muscle we have, the better our metabolism and the healthier other processes in our body. We also resist aging and our ability to stay limber and fit and independent are very much tied to how much muscle mass we have and how how healthy our joints are. We all need to be focusing on building muscle as as we age, man, woman, 
whether you're in your 20s, whether you're in your 70s, we all need to be focusing on either maintaining our muscle mass or trying to gain muscle mass. It's extremely important for our longevity. So I want to take my time with these episodes and try to be very detailed because I think there is a reason why there are so many injuries in the fitness world. And one of those reasons is that the education from fitness leaders and fitness professionals is so lacking. And a lot of this that I'll touch about in these next few episodes, I didn't even learn in physical therapy school. I had to do my own continuing education beyond physical therapy school. I've done, you know, hundreds of hours of research on this, on these things that, you know, I've had mentors that have taught me so much. So this stuff that I'm going to teach you in these next few episodes is not widespread knowledge, but I think it should be because I think without this knowledge, it's the reason why people are seeing mediocre results while they're, why they're killing themselves in the gym, why their bodies hurt. And yet they're not seeing as good of results as they want, or they're feeling completely depleted and worn down and high levels of cortisol, like what I talked about in last week's episodes. And so many PTs, so many physical therapists don't even know this stuff. And it really is a shame because I think our fitness world would be so much better off if everyone knew and applied these principles. And we all want the time we're spending in our workouts to actually be doing something, right? So to do this, we need to select exercises that are the highest bang for your buck. The reason my workouts are so short but effective is because we cut out all the fluff and we apply the principles that I'm going to talk about in this podcast to each exercise. So what I want to talk about today is exercise selection. Not every exercise is created equal and training each muscle in proper ways will be what allows you to have the stimulus to increase your muscle mass. So a lot of, a lot, a lot of workout programs, you might feel your muscles squeeze and burn, but the stimulus or the load to the muscles isn't ideal to really allow those muscles to change. So I want to talk about that in this episode, and this episode will be a little bit more technical. So I want you to hang with me. It might be one of those episodes that you have to listen to more than once, and that's totally fine. But again, I think some of the stuff in this podcast and this episode is going to be really super helpful. We all want the time we're spending in our workouts to actually be doing something, right? We want each workout to move us forward. So to do this, we need to select exercises that are the highest bang for your buck. The effectiveness of your workouts has a lot to do, most to do with what exercises are within that workout. So one of the reasons why my workouts are so short but so effective is because we just cut out all the fluff and we apply the principles that I'm going to talk about in this podcast to every single exercise. This means you're getting much better muscle stimulus in 30 minutes than you could in, say, an hour-long workout where you're tired at the end because you've been working out for an hour, but the workouts within that workout are ineffective and maybe they're burning calories, but they're not actually giving the muscles the correct stimulus to build your muscles, improve your metabolism, and move you forward in your fitness results. So let's get into it. I want to talk about a couple of things in this podcast. Number one, we'll talk about some physics principles um, called levers and resistance curves. And then number two, I want to talk about kind of level of stimulus or level of effort to your muscles. So let's start with the physics part of it, because this part is a little dense, so we're going to get this over with, but it's extremely important. Levers are what will magnify the resistance of an exercise. The weight you're holding is not the amount of force applied to the muscle. Okay, so just because you have a heavy weight doesn't mean that that heavy weight is accurately targeting the muscle that you're trying to work. The amount of force being applied to the muscle is the weight of the resistance 
multiplied by the length of the lever. So hang with me. This will make, make sense in just a second. So the magnification to the muscle or how hard the muscle has to work isn't just about the weight you're holding, but how long the lever is. So if you have a 10 pound dumbbell, but your lever is only two inches, that's only going to be 20 pounds magnified to the muscle. But if you have 10 pounds and your lever is 10 inches, now all of a sudden we've got a hundred pounds of magnification to the muscle. So levers are everything. It's not just about throwing around as much weight as you can. It's about being really intentional about how your levers are working for you or against you. Exercise is physics and not enough fitness professionals understand this principles of levers, which I'm going to get into a little bit deeper, which is why, you know, you work out really hard and you might be systemically fatigued. You might, you might be tired, but the results don't seem to match the amount of hard work and frequency you're putting into your workouts. A lot of this has to do with, are you overworking? You know, go listen to the episode I did last week about cortisol. But then another thing that, another big thing that it has to do with is exercise selection. Are you choosing exercises that are actually stimulating your muscle or are you just like running in place and burning calories, but not actually building your body up? So let's, let's go over some levers to, so that you can kind of picture this in an example in everyday life. So let's say you're trying to hit a golf ball as far as possible with a golf club. The reason the golf club is long is because it gives more force and mechanical advantage, allowing you to hit the ball with a lot more force. If the club was really short, the ball wouldn't be able to go as far, right? Because you wouldn't be able to generate as much force. This is a demonstration of how a long lever results in more force. And this happens during exercise. In every single exercise, it's about physics, it's about your relationship to gravity, and it's about levers. So there are various types of lever systems in our body, which I'm not going to get into in this episode. It's super boring. (laughs) But let's take an example of how levers are important when you are working a muscle, let's say the quads. So let's say you're trying to target your quads really effectively, and you're looking at two exercises, a squat and a, what I call a sissy squat or a version of a sissy squat. Basically your heels are elevated and your knees are traveling more forward. So a squat actually isn't super effective for training the quads, even if you're holding a lot of weight and hang with me. First, I want to say that squat form is not a one-size-fits-all. The length of your legs in relation to the length of your torso and even things like upper body size and mass and like, you know, mass of your head, how much your head weighs will determine how your joints fold into a squat. So you can't just say feet at hip distance, chest lifted, and expect everyone to look the same because everyone's body proportions and length of their bones will dictate how they're able to fold forward or backwards and how they're able to bend their knees and their hips and how how upright they can keep their chest. So some people are able to easily squat like ass to grass, but this doesn't necessarily mean that they have better quote unquote mobility, although it can mean this, but it doesn't always mean this it probably means they have the right proportions of their body to easily keep their body mass centered as they squat and not tip forward or backwards. So you'll see those people that they can just like fold all the way down like easily and they're they're not struggling, right? And oftentimes this is because someone has a longer torso in relation to their legs. So they're able to fold a lot easier. 
if you're one of those people who squats have always hurt your back because you feel like you have to lean really far forward, this is me, by the way. I was always told, keep your chest up. I'm like, I can't. I'll like fall backwards. So, or maybe you feel like um, you just get this like stop, like you can't go down super low. And this is likely because your body proportions are keeping you from fully folding into this position because physics takes over, right? You have to keep your body mass balanced. You have to have equal body mass forward as you do backwards. So if you have more mass behind you, if if you lift your chest and that transfers the weight back behind you a little bit more, you'll fall over, right? So this has everything to do squatting mechanics has everything to do with your body proportion. So it's not a one size fits all. If you're one of those people that your back hurts with squatting, guess what? You don't have to squat if you don't want to. I mean, I know that's like blasphemy in the fitness industry, but I truly believe there are lots of other exercises that are even better than squats at targeting different muscles in your body. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but just to demonstrate that everyone will have different levers in a squat, which is really comes back to the point that I was trying to say that, you know, not all squats are one size fits all. Some people will feel a little more quad. Some people will feel a little more glute, but regardless of if you feel a little bit more quad or if you feel a little bit more glute, this exercise is not the most effective exercise for the quads. The problem is, is that even if someone has ideal squatting form, the moment arm or the lever, remember the magnification to the knee or to the quad is usually pretty short. That means that you would have to use a ton of weight to target the quad with enough stimulus or magnification to actually grow that muscle substantially. And of course, I'm not saying that people can't have results in their legs by doing squats. It's just not as ideal as choosing another exercise that targets the quads using more effective levers. So let's take a potent example of the power of levers. I have a method for drawing what's called moment arms or levers in every single exercise and then calculating the magnification to the muscle in any exercise, which is super helpful because it allows me to design programs that are targeting the muscles we actually want to target without unnecessarily stressing joints. And again, this all goes back to physics. Exercise is physics. So here's an example of two exercises. One is a bodyweight squat with elevated heels. So basically your heels are up on a surface. And what this does is your knees are able to translate forward past your toes, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I think that's a whole nother episode about um, how you can allow your knees to go over your toes as long as it isn't painful. And we can compare that to a more standard squat with the heels down holding 30 pounds. So in one exercise, you've got your body weight, the knees are traveling forward, your heels are lifted. And the second exercise, you've got a standard squat, but you're holding 30 pounds, okay? In the body weight elevated heel squat, there is about 957 pounds per inch of force to the quads. And I calculated this based on my body proportions. Whereas in a squat holding 30 pounds, there's only 689 pounds per inch of force to the quads. So that's crazy. How can that be? I'm holding 30 pounds more in my squat and yet there's, you know, almost 300 pounds less of force than in the body weight exercise. This is because there's a longer lever to the knees in the elevated heel version, which creates more magnification and work to the quads. So the beauty of choosing this exercise, this body weight kind of elevated heel squat, instead of the squat holding heavy weight, 
is that I get more effective work to my quads and yet I'm compressing my spine less because I have to hold less weight, right? I just am using my body weight. I'm not getting that downward compression from the extra weight, but I'm getting more work to my quads. However, if I were to hold that same 30 pounds in the elevated heel variation, I would get twice the work to the quads than I would if my heels were down, I was doing a regular squat, and I was holding that same amount of weight. This just goes to show that levers are important. You can hold the same amount of weight, but if you have a longer lever to the targeted muscle, you will have more work to that muscle. This is another reason why throwing around more weight isn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily make you stronger. You could have a ton of weight, but really short levers, and you're not really getting much work to your muscles. And on the flip side, you can have really long effective levers and just use your body weight and actually get much more work to the muscles than the person trying to throw around a bunch of weight, but using tiny little levers. If you want to see what this looks like in like more of a image format. I know sometimes it's hard to talk about via audio. I did a post, an Instagram post on this on April 20th. So my Instagram is at uh, Dr. Shannon DPT. It's dr.shannon.dpt. You can go back to one of the reels I did on April 20th and you can see what I'm talking about there. Visually, I do a video of it. So there are so many more examples and I'll go through some more examples at the end of this episode. But what I want to say is that There are so many popular exercises in the fitness industry where you may feel your muscles, quote unquote, squeezing and burning, but the stimulus or the load to the muscles is ineffective. So just because you're squeezing a muscle, just because you have to hold your leg up for a long time, doesn't necessarily mean that it's low, you're getting enough load to the muscle for the muscle to then adapt and change. So if you're choosing exercises that have short levers to the muscles you're targeting, It doesn't really matter how much weight you're throwing around. Like I said, the magnification to the muscle is what matters. That is what will change your muscles. One of the reasons you may be working out, you know, consistently, but maybe you're not saying muscle growth is because you're choosing exercises that aren't really loading the muscles with enough stimulus because of that short or ineffective lever. Now, I'm not saying that you should get the longest lever possible to your muscles because longer and the longer and longer the lever gets the more magnification to the muscle right and so you could see at some point a lever that is too long could actually be dangerous for the muscle and that's when you can get a rupture right so we want the levers to be long but still safe so you can see this all the time in people injuring their backs let's say in a deadlift or a squat And it's often not because their form is crappy or because their core is weak. It's because there's a long moment arm or a long lever to the muscles of the back. And when you multiply that long lever by the amount of weight you're holding, let's say you're holding, you know, 200 pounds and you have a, you know, 10 inch lever or a 10, 10 inch moment arm to the low back, that's 200 pounds times 10, which is, you know, 2000, that's 2000 pounds per inch of work to the low back. So is that something that your low back can handle? Maybe. Is it something that might be too much and it might be kind of a weakest link situation and you see an injury? Maybe. So this just is an illustration of how levers can get long and to the point where they place too much force through the muscle and they stress or injure a tissue or a muscle or a joint or something like that. So I just want to say that 
there's a sweet spot where you want the magnification, the lever to be long enough, long enough to apply stimulus to the muscle, but not so long that you rupture something. Additionally, levers get shorter or longer as you move dynamically through a movement, unless you're holding a static isometric. For example, in a bicep curl, the lever is the longest in the middle of the motion when you're halfway through, where your elbow is bent at 90 degrees. The levers get shorter as you approach the top of the movement. So you can intuitively feel this. If you are at the end of a bicep curl, it gets easier once you approach the end, right? It's almost hardest. It's hardest to get it up to the middle. And then once you get it up to the middle, it's smooth sailing. You can easily get it up to the top. And this is because the levers get longer in the middle and then they get shorter at the top. So when you're moving dynamically through movement, levers are always changing. And you can use this to either your advantage or you can use this to your detriment. So that's where this takes me into this second concept called the resistance curve. The resistance profile uh, or resistance curve of a muscle is basically where in any given movement, the muscle is the strongest and where it's the weakest. I'm going to break this down as granularly as I can. Muscles have a fully contracted or shortened state, and they have a fully relaxed or lengthened state. And they don't actually stretch further than their lengthened or relaxed state. If you want to learn more about stretching and all the myths behind stretching and my take on stretching, you can go back to episode three. But we, we know that muscles contract and they relax. Anytime you move any joint in your body, a muscle has to contract. They have to contract harder when they're working against gravity and they have to contract less hard or sometimes not at all when gravity is assisting them. The only example that's coming to mind is this. Is it harder to raise your arms overhead when you're standing upright or when you're hanging upside down? right? Obviously hanging upside down, your arms just fall. Your muscles don't have to work at all for your arms to go over your head. Even though it's the exact same movement, it's arms elevated above the head, but one movement is working against gravity and one movement is working with gravity. I know this seems super obvious, but these little stepping stone things are going to be really important for you to understand this more dense topic. So in order to stimulate a muscle, you want to make sure that that body part is moving properly against gravity, right? If it's moving with gravity, the muscle won't be working. There won't be stimulus to the muscle. And it seems obvious, but this is going to get more complicated because there are certain degrees of this. You can work partially against gravity or partially with gravity, depending on your body's orientation to gravity. So resistance curves are where in the range of motion a muscle is the strongest and where it's the weakest. Generally, muscles are stronger and more able to produce force when they are longer and weaker and less able to produce force when they are shorter. Okay, so stronger and more able to produce force when they're longer and weaker and less able to produce force when they're shorter. You can think about a rubber band. So if I were to hold a rubber band at both ends and stretch that rubber band to its fully lengthened state and launch the rubber, let go and launch it, it would go really far. If I were to pinch that rubber band in half and 
lengthen that as far as it can go and then launch that, it wouldn't go as far, right? So the longer the muscle is, in this case, the longer the rubber band is, the more force it has. The shorter it is, the less force it has, okay? So they have different phases of strength, muscles do. And when they're in the beginning range of the motion, they tend to be stronger. There are some exceptions where you don't wanna load muscles when they're fully lengthened. These muscles would be your lats, your biceps, your pecs, your hamstrings, and your hip flexors. You don't want to lengthen those, or you don't want to uh, really place a lot of load through those muscles when they're fully lengthened. But for the most part, you want exercise to feel harder when the muscle is longer and feel easier as the muscle gets shorter. And I'm going to go through some examples and you'll understand why this feels so good. This is why my classes feel so good is because we understand this principle and we understand how to load muscles in a way that feels almost like really satisfying because we're matching our body's ability to resist the weight that we're holding. This is called phase loading. So again, you're choosing an exercise that is loading the muscle the most when it's stronger and loading the muscle the least when the, when that muscle's weaker. For the best stimulus to the muscle and for the exercise you're choosing to be highly effective, you want to load the muscle when the muscle is longer or in at least its middle range of motion. This is where levers come in. So this is where these two kind of complex physics principles mesh together. Remember that the magnification to a muscle has to do with how long the lever is. The longer the lever, the more magnification to the muscle. And also remember that an effective exercise will be one where the magnification to the muscle is the most when the muscle is either longer or in its middle range of motion rather than when the muscle is shorter or at its end range of motion. We also need shorter levers when the muscle is shorter. Okay, so longer levers when the muscle's longer, shorter levers when the muscle's shorter. And if you're not following this, I'm going to give you a lot of examples here at the end so that you, you'll kind of understand this and you can intuitively feel this in your body. So this means we need to match our levers to our muscle length. We need to early phase or middle phase load our muscles. Phase loading. Early phase is when the Muscle is the long, longer or in its middle phase, and the resistance or the lever is also the most. So most magnification to the muscle when the muscle is in its earlier middle phase. Late phase loading, on the other hand, is when the lever or the magnification to the muscle is the longest when the muscle is the shortest. This is when you get disadvantage, right? And there's a place for late phase loading, but it's not as effective. It won't build muscle as quickly because you can't load the muscle um, as much as you can when you choose early or middle phase loaded exercises. So again, we want to choose late phase loaded exercises less frequently, if at all, if, if muscle growth is our goal. Muscles can still grow with late-faded loaded exercises, but again, they just aren't as effective and they can be more stressful in your joints. So again, I think a lot of Pilates classes, and I'm not knocking Pilates class, I have a Pilates class <laughs> on my membership, but it's all about what exercises you're choosing within that class that will dictate how effective that class is. So a lot of like Pilates classes or even bars, bar classes will, you know, be doing a lot of pulsing at the end range. And a lot of those exercises tend to be late phase loaded. So yes, you're feeling the burn, but that's because the muscle is at a disadvantage. That's because the muscle is weaker in that position. Um, not because 
because you are effectively loading the exercise. So we want to make sure that we are loading the muscles properly in their early and middle phases so that you're actually getting the full spectrum of contraction, the full spectrum of loading through that entire muscle. I hope this isn't too confusing. I know this is a dense topic. We're going to give you some examples. So let's take an example of training the triceps, the back, the back of your arm, the muscle on the back of your arm. And we'll do two exercises. One of these exercises is a late phase loaded exercise. And one of these exercises is an early phase loaded exercise. A tricep skull crusher versus a tricep kickback. So let's say we're using the same weight on both exercises. Let's say 10 pounds. So we're using 10 pounds and a tricep skull crusher and 10 pounds and a tricep kickback. So what are these two exercises? I realize that people might not know what these are. So a skull crusher is when you're on your back, your arms are straight up over your head or over your shoulder rather, and you're just bending your elbow to 90 degrees and straightening your elbow. So they call it skull crusher because the weight kind of comes right next to your head. So the weight comes to your head, you bend your elbow and straighten. The shoulder stays completely still. You're just working the tricep. So a tricep skull crusher will be more beneficial at loading the triceps and therefore grow the muscle more because it early phase loads the tricep. The tricep is longer when your elbow is bent and shorter when your elbow is straightened. Like if you just right now bend and straighten your elbow, think about what position would stretch your tricep. Probably when your elbow is fully bent, right? That's when your tricep is fully lengthened. Now, where would your tricep be fully stretched? contracted when your elbow is fully strained, right? You can feel that squeeze. If you really strain through your elbow, you can feel your tricep squeeze. So now we know, okay, the tricep is longer when our elbow is bent and the tricep is shorter when our elbow is strained. And you can do this with any muscle. Just think about, okay, what would feel like a stretch in this muscle? Okay. That's when that muscle is more lengthened. What would feel like I'm really squeezing it as hard as I can? That would be when that muscle is shortened. I'm not saying that you should get a stretch before you (laughs) contract your muscle. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you're having trouble picturing where in the range of motion the muscle is longer and where it's shorter, you can do it that way. So back to that skull crusher. The tricep is longer when your elbow is bent and shorter when your elbow is straight. So if you do this exercise, you will feel that it feels the hardest when your elbow is bent at 90 degrees, when the tricep is longer, and it gets easier as you get to the top when your elbow gets straightened, when the tricep is shorter. So this is an exercise that is early phase loaded, right? It matches the strength of the muscle. We are loading the muscle the most when the muscle is strongest, and we're loading the muscle the least when the muscle is weakest. This is how you will see your muscles grow. On the other hand, let's compare this to a tricep kickback. A tricep kickback late phase loads the muscle and therefore is less effective. A tricep kickback, there's various probably positions to do it, but um, basically you're bent forward at your torso and you your elbow's at your side and you straighten your elbow so it kind of it goes along the same plane as your body and then you bend your elbow. So if you, if you need to Google any of these, feel free to Google and that should come up pretty quickly. But this exercise, late fades low is the exercise. And you can feel this intuitively, right? Like if you do this exercise, remember the tricep is fully shortened when the elbow is fully straightened. Well, where's the hardest part of that movement? Where do I feel like I have to contract the most? In a tricep kickback, you'll feel it at the end of the movement when the elbow is fully straightened. So This is an example of a late phase loaded exercise, right? It's the hardest when the tricep is fully straightened. Now, the problem with this exercise, and it's not bad. I do these a little bit um, 
just here and there, but I, I always make sure I do skull crushers first and then I'll maybe do a set of these afterwards. But the problem with this exercise is that it totally misses the range of motion where you have the most strength. So in the, in the beginning and middle phases, it's like there's no resistance at all, right? And this is because of physics and your orientation with gravity. So you're missing a, an opportunity to really strengthen the muscle because where the muscle is really strong, there's like no resistance. So again, this has to do with levers. This has to do with your resistance curves. And it's just a demonstration on how like, yeah, you're going to feel your triceps really squeezing, but you're, it's not as effective because you're not actually loading the triceps where that they're strongest. So again, can you see your triceps grow if you do kickbacks? Probably a little bit, but can you see them grow more and faster and probably feel like less cranky in the elbows if you do skull crushers? I would say so. Late phase loading isn't bad, but again, it's just not as effective. And the problem is, is that sometimes late phase loaded exercises can be stressful to other joints. And this is because when the muscle has less ability to contract, when it's quote unquote weaker at the end range of motion, other muscles will have to jump in to help, right? Or other areas of your body. And this means you may be unintentionally and unnecessarily loading surrounding muscles and compensating. For example, in the tricep kickback, there is a long lever to the elbow and tricep at the end, but you know, the tricep in that position is quote unquote weaker and less able to resist that long lever to the elbow. Additionally, there's a long lever to the shoulder girdle, even longer lever to the shoulder girdle. So the shoulder girdle, like the upper traps, um, backside of the shoulder will have to work even harder than the tricep to keep your, your body in that position. And a lot of times this will be stressful or uncomfortable to the shoulder girdle and to the neck. Like I know I always feel a little bit uncomfortable in my neck when I do tricep kickbacks. And this is why it's not because I'm weak. It's not because my neck is jacked up. It's because of the physics of this exercise. So this is just an illustration of how not every exercise is created equal. And just because you're feeling a squeeze doesn't necessarily mean that that exercise is the best or the most beneficial for you. You could have, sometimes I, (laughs) this is um, a little aside. Sometimes I watch like things on Instagram, fitness things on Instagram, and I see every single exercise this person is doing is late phase loaded. And I'm just thinking their joints probably don't feel super comfortable and they probably have to use momentum to, you know, swing the muscle up, to swing the weight up. And they're probably not going to get as much bang for their buck if they just chose early or middle phase loaded exercises instead. One thing that I get a lot from PTs who try to argue with me on this is saying, well, EMG studies show a high activation of this muscle in this late phase loaded exercise. So that must, must mean that the muscle is highly activated and that must mean that the muscle will grow. But EMG are studies where they basically measure the electric activity to a muscle. So how much that muscle is firing, but activation is just your brain firing muscles. Activation has nothing to do with load or effectiveness, right? It doesn't mean that just because you can feel the squeeze, your muscles are going to grow more than they could. If you did another exercise where you're feeling the squeeze, but you're also loading the muscle. For example, you could flex your bicep as hard as possible, like right now with no weight and activate it, right? And it would light up an EMG machine. There would be lots of electrical activity to that muscle by just squeezing your muscle. But 
I think we could all agree that that wouldn't be optimal for growing your muscles because there's no load, right? So don't be fooled that just because you feel something squeeze that it's necessarily as effective as it could be if you were more focused on considering load and considering levers and considering resistance profiles. Let's talk through another example, and then I'll end this episode with just rattling off a few common exercises, whether they're late phase or early phase loaded exercises, and which ones I prefer and which ones I don't prefer. So let's take a hip thrust. A hip thrust is where your back is on a bench or a chair or whatever, you're bending at your hips, and then you're straightening your hips. And a lot of people will have weights on top of their hips, and it's sort of like a bridge, except your upper body is elevated on something. And a hip thrust feels relatively easy at the bottom of the motion when your butt is on the ground and harder as you move your hips away from the floor. This is opposite of the resistance curve of the glute, remember? So your glute is longer when your hip is bent and shorter when your hip is straightened. So when your hips are on the floor, there's a little crease in your hip. The glutes are a little bit longer there. And when you get all the way to the top and your hips are in line with your knees and your shoulders, your body is basically in one straight line, the glutes are shorter. The thing is, if you feel this intuitively in your body, you'll feel that it gets harder as you approach the top of the motion. This is because this exercise is late phase loaded. The glute is getting quote unquote weaker as it approaches the top of the motion. Still, the resistance is getting heavier because of the weight's relationship to gravity at that point in the movement. I know this sounds confusing, but again, you can just feel this for yourself. So notice like, do I have to swing a weight to get it up? Do I, does it get harder and harder as my muscle gets shorter as I approach the end range of motion? If the answer is yes, then that exercise is probably late phase loaded. And again, this exercise is seen by the industry to be super effective because when they hook it up to an EMG machine, the muscle really lights up and there's lots of activation to that muscle. And I'm not saying that it's ineffective or I'm not saying that EMG studies don't matter, but I'm just saying that EMG studies aren't showing the whole picture. They aren't showing that maybe there isn't as much load to the muscle because of levers and because of physics. So in contrast, let's take a step up or a lunge. You guys know I love my step ups. (laughs) A lunge or a step up feels the hardest when your hip is flexed. So at the bottom of the movement. So when your hip is bent, right? Like when you're beginning the movement in a step up, let's say, let's t- let's just keep it simple and use a step up. So let's say you're putting your foot up on a bench or whatever. You're at the beginning of the movement. That's when the movement is the hardest. And as you get to the top, it gets easier and easier and easier, right? This is because the moment arm or the lever is the longest at the bottom and it gets shorter at the top. This is a early phase loaded exercise because the longest lever point is when the muscle is longer. Again, when your hip is flexed at the beginning of this movement, your hip is bent, your glute is in a longer position. When you're standing all the way up straight, your hip is pretty much locked out or close to it, and the glute is in a shorter position. And that's also where there's less magnification to the muscle. So again, you don't have to fully understand these concepts in order to start thinking about these things in your workouts. Think about, and honestly, it takes like a little bit of anatomy and knowing your body. And if you take my classes, you know that I explain these things in classes. So I always like to say, I want you to feel like you're getting a master's degree after taking my classes because you understand your body so much better. I talk about anatomy all the time, but 
again, you can start to think of this, even if you're not taking my classes, like, okay, where is my muscle longer? Where is it shorter? right? Where would I feel a stretch? If I were to stretch this muscle, where would I feel a stretch? Okay. That joint position is where my muscle is longer. And where would I feel like fully squeeze as hard as I can? What position would I have to bring my body into to feel that fully squeezed? Okay. That's where it's the shorter, shortest. Now let's look at your exercises. In my exercise, does the resistance feel the hardest when the muscle is longest? Does it feel easier when the muscle gets shorter? Or is it vice versa? Does it feel the hardest when the muscle gets shorter and the easiest or maybe no resistance at all when the muscle is the longest and the strongest, right? So this is this principle is something that I apply in every single one of my classes. And we do some late phase loaded exercises and I'll kind of rapid fire go through some of my favorite early or middle phase loaded exercises, I'll go through some um, some late phase loaded exercises that we sprinkle in just here and there, but we definitely don't focus on them. And then I'll end with some of my least favorite late phase late phase loaded exercises that I rarely do. So let's first go through my favorite early or middle phase loaded exercises. Again, these are exercises that are really going to change your body. These are exercises that are going to grow your muscles effectively These are exercises that when you put these exercises together in a workout, you don't have to work out for as long because they're more effective, right? We're taking out the fluff with these ones. So let's go over these. One of my favorites for the quads, and I have a few, but one of my favorites for the quads, I call it a matrix move. It's called the reverse Nordic curl. Basically, you're kneeling and your body stays straight. So from your shoulders and hips, everything is straight like a plank of wood and you lean back and then come up. And if you notice, again, the reason this is late or early phase loaded and effective for the quads is because when you are fully leaned back, and you don't have to go all the way back, by the way, you can go in a small range of motion and still get good work. But when you're fully leaned back, that's when your quad is lengthened. And some people will even feel a stretch here, right? That is also the position where it's the hardest. There's the most resistance. As you approach the top of this movement, your quads get shorter, right? So there's less stretch on the quads as you come up. And as you approach the top of the movement, this is where there's less resistance. Again, this is an exercise where the levers match where the muscle is strongest. This is an example of a great exercise that will move the needle and grow your muscles. Okay, so matrix move. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to go over each of these in details, but I'll just rattle a few off. Step ups for the glutes. Sideline arm abduction. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I've done tons of videos with this so that you can see what I mean, but you're laying on your side and you're lifting your arm out to the side. Much, much more effective than a standing lateral raise where, you ha- where you're standing up and you have weights and you're bringing your weights out to the side and down. Or what I'll see a lot in, again, like Pilates and bar classes is like people doing arm circles with their arms out at 90 degrees, this is that's late phase loaded. So the, re, the way you make shoulder work early phase loaded is that you lay on your side. So it's just your orientation to gravity. Skull crushers for the triceps are another early phase loaded exercise that I love. Bicep curls are a middle phase loaded exercise that I love. Single arm lat pulls using a cable, right? So you're at the gym and you have a cable up high. You pull your elbow in at your side. Your elbow bends, bends in at your side right? Lat pull down using a cable with one arm. Um, And then lunges. Lunges for the glutes are really great as well. Also early phase loaded. 
some late phase loaded, and that's not all of them. That's not an exhausted list. I don't want to give away all of my tricks. You definitely need to start taking my classes, but um, some of the late phase loaded exercises that I sometimes do, and these are exercises that aren't going to necessarily move the needle for you as much. I just sprinkle them in, but they aren't my main focus of classes at all. If anything, they're just like some bonus. So bridges, when you're laying on your back and you lift your hips up and down, those are late phase loaded. Hip thrusts are late phase loaded, as I talked about earlier. Most band work, most resistance band work is late phase loaded. I should probably do a whole nother episode about band work, but the reason why band work will sometimes be like uncomfortable. If you're using bands for upper body, it'll sometimes be uncomfortable on the neck. This is because of that late phase loaded phenomenon where other muscles are having to kick in for weakness because of, because of the band late phase loading. So band work, uh, donkey kicks where you're lifting your leg back behind you. You can do that standing too, right? You see that in bar classes where you're hinged forward and you're kind of lifting your back leg behind you. Those are late phase loaded. I do those sometimes. And then um, bent over rows. Again, we do those rarely and I do them in a very specific way, but bent over rows are late phase loaded exercises. And then here are a few late phase loaded exercises that I don't recommend and that I never do. Standing shoulder abduction. So when you're standing and you have arm weights in your hands and you're lifting your arm out to 90 degrees or out in front of you, I never do those. Uh, Donkey kick with an ankle weight. So anytime your leg is behind you and you have an ankle weight, right? Because the magnification to the muscle is so long already, it's late phase loaded. And then you add an ankle weight, you're likely going to compensate in your low back. So I don't do those ever. And then bent over flies. Again, bent over flies are late phase, late phase loaded exercises, and they tend to be um, a little compromising or they can be a little compromising for the low back. So those are three that I just rarely do if ever. So oftentimes these late phase loaded exercises don't feel very satisfying or comfortable. This is because of this resistance curve phenomenon. There is little or no resistance when the muscle is strong and too much resistance when it's weak. This will often transfer the stress to your joints and leave your body feeling cranky without the upside of a ton of stimulus and benefit to the muscle. So this is why exercise selection is so important and not enough fitness professionals know these things, which is what makes my classes so enjoyable and so different and so satisfying is that we do understand this and we do make sure that every single exercise is, you know, physics approved. If you've ever taken one of my upper body build classes, you may notice that your neck feels better and (laughs) maybe your shoulders feel better and it, but your arms are like cooked right? The best feeling when your joints feel good, but your muscles are cooked. And it's because we aren't doing a bunch of planks. We aren't doing a bunch of overhead presses. We aren't doing a bunch of shoulder raises. We aren't doing a bunch of shoulder circles. And yet I hear from my clients all the time that they get compliments about their arms (laughs) since they've joined Evlo. And these often are people who have been working out for years or decades. It's because we use physics. It matters and it works. The best part is we aren't concerned with totally wearing down your body and your joints, right? So that takes me to my next piece of this and my final piece of this, which is going to be the shortest piece. You do not have to be completely exhausted and wiped out from your workouts. It's not about that. Hopefully from this episode, you now understand that it's about effective stimulus 
that will grow your muscles. When you have more muscles, you have a faster metabolism. You have better um, balance of hormones. You're able to maintain a lean body easier. Your joints feel better. You're, you're able to be less frail and more independent for your entire life, right? So it's not about just getting as fatigued and burning as many calories as possible. It's about the stimulus to your muscles. It's about exercise selection. So in order to really move the needle for your fitness results and really grow your muscles, you have to be fatigued at the end of your set or at the end of your workouts. And a lot of my Evlo members, if you're listening and you're getting stronger and you're not feeling fatigued at the end of your um, set, it might be time to add some weight might be time to add some extra repetitions. This is a good rule of thumb. You should basically feel like you have maybe three or four reps left in you before your muscles like completely gave out. So we don't necessarily have to get all the way to failure. Studies show you don't have to get all the way to failure to see muscle growth, but you want to get pretty close. So you want to get to the point where you're really pretty much struggling at the end of the set and you're ready for it to be over, right? Because if you're not seeing that enough, you might not be either using enough weight or you're not doing enough reps. So we want to make sure that we are getting pretty close to fatigue in our strength training workouts. That I didn't have to go into as much detail about. It's a little bit more um, easy to wrap your head around. So three things, again, exercise selection is everything. Exercise selection is everything. We want to make sure we have proper levers, We want to make sure that our resistance curve is correct, right? We want to match how much resistance we're feeling when the muscle is the strongest. We want more resistance when the muscle is stronger, less resistance when the muscle is weaker, right? And then three, we want to make sure that we're fatiguing our muscles and we're getting enough stimulus to our muscles. If you feel like you're working out and you're you're not feeling fatigued and tired after your workouts in your muscles, then again, maybe consider adding a little bit of weight. How I recommend adding weight is like two to three pounds at a time. So don't go up super fast or else you could get injured. Really ease into it. So stronger muscles with less joint discomfort is what you can expect from my classes because we apply these principles. Next week, I'll be talking about how to dose your exercise in a way that will actually allow your body to move forward. So stay tuned for that. Super excited for that. And if you're not an Evla member, it's time. EvloFitness.com, E-V-L-O-Fitness.com. Also, there are seven free classes that you can try. If you go to my Instagram, Dr. Shannon DPT, dr.shannon.dpt, there's a link in my bio. You can click that and you can sign up for seven free classes that will be emailed to you. So you can always try the seven free classes. There's no credit card required. So if you just want to try them risk-free, you can. You can take them over and over. But if you are ready to join my membership, there's a seven-day free trial. In that seven-day free trial, you have access to the entire membership, right? But that is one that you have to put your credit card in. And then if you don't cancel after seven days, it will charge you. Um, But if you're like, I don't want to put my credit card in. I just want to try seven classes. You can go in and try the seven classes. So I think there was some confusion about that. So I wanted to clarify that. All right. So I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. One more thing. If you could please, please rate and review this podcast. It helps me so much. My goal is to reach more people who could benefit from this information because I know it can change your body. It can change your outlook on your body. It can change how you respect your body and love your body. It can really just, I mean, not to be dramatic, it can change your life. So please rate and review if you love this podcast and thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Bye.